12. That the small mass of old dough in which they were gathered served to eleven the entire batch at the next baking. As soon as man learned that yeast plants caused fermentation in liquors and bread, he realized that it would be to his advantage to cultivate yeast and to add it to bread and to plant juices rather than to depend upon accidental and slow fermentation from wild yeast. Shortly after the discovery of yeast in the 19th century, man commenced his attempt to cultivate the tiny organisms. Their microscopic size added greatly to his trouble, and it was only after years of careful and tedious investigation that he was able to perfect the commercial yeast cakes and yeast brews universally used by bakers and brewers. The well-known compressed yeast cake is simply a mass of lib and vigorous yeast plants, embedded in a soft, soggy material, and ready to grow and multiply as soon as they are placed under proper conditions of heat, moisture, and food. Seeds which remain on our shelves do not germinate, but those which are planted in the soil do, so it is with the yeast plants, while in the cake they are as lifeless as the seed, when placed in dough, or fruit juice, or grain water, they grow and multiply and cause fermentation. Chapter XXII Bleaching 217 The beauty and the commercial value of uncolored fabrics depend upon the purity and perfection of their whiteness, a man's white collar and a woman's white waist must be pure white without the slightest tinge of color, but all natural fabrics, whether they come from plants, like cotton and linen, or from animals, like wool and silk, contain more or less coloring matter, which impairs the whiteness, this coloring not only detracts from the appearance of fabrics which are to be worn on colored, but it seriously interferes with the action of dyes, and at times plays the dear strange tricks, natural fibers, moreover, are difficult to spin and weave unless some softening material such as wax or resin is rubbed lightly over them. The matter added to facilitate spinning and weaving generally detracts from the appearance of the uncolored fabric, and also interferes with successful dyeing. Thus it is easy to see that the natural coloring matter and the added foreign matter must be entirely removed from fabrics destined for commercial use. Exceptions to this general fact are sometimes made because unbleached material is cheaper and more durable than the bleached product, and for some purposes is entirely satisfactory, and bleached cheesecloth and sheeting are frequently purchased in place of the more expensive bleached material. Formerly, the only bleaching agent known was the sun's rays, and linen and cotton were put out to sun for a week, that island the unbleached fabrics were spread on the grass and exposed to the bleaching action of sun and dew. 218. An Artificial Bleaching Agent while the sun's rays are effective as a bleaching agent, the process is slow, moreover, it would be impossible to expose to the sun's rays the vast quantity of fabrics used in the civilized world of today, and the huge and numerous bolts of material which daily come from our looms and factories must therefore be whitened by artificial means. The substance almost universally used as a rapid artificial bleaching agent is chlorine, best known to us as a constituent of common salt. Chlorine is never free in nature but is found in combination with other substances, as, for example, in combination with sodium in salt, or with hydrogen in hydrochloric acid. The best laboratory method of securing free chlorine is to heat in a water bath a mixture of hydrochloric acid and manganese dioxide, a compound containing one part of manganese and two parts of oxygen. The heat causes the manganese dioxide to give up its oxygen which immediately combines with the hydrogen of the hydrochloric acid and forms water. The manganese itself combines with part of the chlorine originally in the acid, but not with all. There is thus some free chlorine left over from the acid, and this passes off as a gas and can be collected, 
as in figure 158, free chlorine is heavier than air, and hence when it leaves the exit tube it settles at the bottom of the jar, displacing the air, and finally filling the bottle. Chlorine is a very active substance and combines readily with most substances, but especially with hydrogen, if chlorine comes in contact with steam, it abstracts the hydrogen and unites with it to form hydrochloric acid, but it leaves the oxygen free and inconnant. This tendency of chlorine to combine with hydrogen makes it valuable as a bleaching agent. In order to test the efficiency of chlorine as a bleaching agent, drop a wet piece of colored gingham or calico into the bottle of chlorine, and notice the rapid disappearance of color from the sample. If a bleached muslin is used, the moist strip loses its natural yellowish hue and becomes a clear, pure white. The explanation of the bleaching power of chlorine is that the chlorine combines with the hydrogen of the water and sets oxygen free. The uncommon free oxygen oxidizes the coloring matter in the cloth and destroys it. Chlorine has no effect on dry material. As may be seen if we put dry gingham into the jar, in this case there is no water to furnish hydrogen for combination with the chlorine, and no oxygen to be set free. 219. Bleaching powder. Chlorine gas has a very injurious effect on the human body, and hence cannot be used directly as a bleaching agent. It attacks the mucous membrane of the nose and lungs, and produces the effect of a severe cold or catarrh, and when inhaled, causes death. But certain compounds of chlorine are harmless, and can be used instead of chlorine for destroying either natural or artificial dyes. One of these compounds, namely, chloride of lime is the almost universal bleaching agent of commerce. It comes in the form of powder, which can be dissolved in water to form the bleaching solution in which the colored fabrics are immersed. But fabrics immersed in a bleaching powder solution do not lose their color as would naturally be expected. The reason for this is that the chlorine gas is not free to do its work, but is restricted by its combination with the other substances. By experiment it has been found that the addition to the bleaching solution of an acid such as vinegar or lemon juice or sulfuric acid, causes the liberation of the chlorine. The chlorine thus set free reacts with the water and liberates oxygen, this in turn destroys the coloring matter in the fibers, and transforms the material into a bleached product. The acid used to liberate the chlorine from the bleaching powder, and the chlorine also, rot materials with which they remain in contact for any length of time. For this reason, fabrics should be removed from the bleaching solution as soon as possible and should then be rinsed in some solution, such as ammonia, which is capable of neutralizing the harmful substances, finally the fabric should be thoroughly rinsed in water in order that all foreign matter may be removed, the reason home bleaching is so seldom satisfactory is that most emitters fail to realize the necessity of immediate neutralization and rinsing, and allow the fabric to remain too long in the bleaching solution, and allow it to dry with traces of the bleaching substances present in the fibers, Material treated in this way is thoroughly bleached, but is at the same time rotten and worthless. Chloride of lime is frequently used in laundry work, the clothes are whiter than when cleaned with soap and simple washing powders, but they soon wear out unless the precaution has been taken to add in an anicler or neutralizer to the bleaching solution. 220. Commercial Bleaching In commercial bleaching the material to be bleached is first moistened with a very weak solution of sulfuric acid or hydrochloric acid and is then immersed in the bleaching powder solution. As the moist material is drawn through the bleaching solution, the acid on the fabric acts upon the solution and releases chlorine. The chlorine liberates oxygen from the water. The oxygen in turn attacks the coloring matter and destroys it. Illustration, Figure 159.
The material to be bleached is drawn through an acid, then through a bleaching solution, and finally through a neutralizing solution. The bleached material is then immersed in a neutralizing bath and is finally rinsed thoroughly in water. Strips of cotton or linen many miles long are drawn by machinery into and out of the various solutions figure 159, are then passed over pressing rollers, and emerge snow white, ready to be deed or to be used as white fabric. 221. Wool and silk bleaching. Animal fibers like silk, wool, and feathers, and some vegetable fibers like straw, cannot be bleached by means of chlorine, because it attacks not only the coloring matter but the fiber itself and leaves it shrunken and inferior. Cotton and linen fibers, apart from the small amount of coloring matter present in them, contain nothing but carbon, oxygen, and hydrogen, while animal fibers contain in addition to these elements some compounds of nitrogen. The presence of these nitrogen compounds influences the action of the chlorine and produces unsatisfactory results. For animal fibers it is therefore necessary to discard chlorine as a bleaching agent and to substitute a substance which will have a less disastrous action upon the fibers. Such a substance is to be had in sulfurous acid. When sulfur burns, as in a match, it gives off disagreeable fumes, and if these are made to bubble into a vessel containing water, they dissolve and form with the water a substance known as sulfurous acid. That this solution has bleaching properties is shown by the fact that a colored cloth dipped into it loses its color, and in bleached fabrics immersed in it are whitened. The harmless nature of sulfurous acid makes it very desirable as a bleaching agent, especially in the home. Silk, lace, and wool when bleached with chlorine become hard and brittle, but when whitened with sulfurous acid, they retain their natural characteristics. This mild form of a bleaching substance has been put to uses which are now prohibited by the pure food laws. In some canneries common corn is whitened with sulfurous acid, and is then sold under false representations. Cherries are sometimes bleached and then colored with the bright shades which under natural conditions indicate freshness. Bleaching with chlorine is permanent, the dystuff being destroyed by the chlorine, but bleaching with sulfurous acid is temporary, because the milder bleach does not actually destroy the dystuff, but merely modifies it, and in time the natural yellow color of straw, cotton, and linen reappears. The yellowing of straw hats during the summer is familiar to everyone. The straw is nearly resuming its natural color which had been modified by the sulfurous acid solution applied to the straw when woven. 222. Why the color returns? Some of the compounds formed by the sulfurous acid bleaching process are gradually decomposed by sunlight, and in consequence the original color is in time partially restored. The portion of a hep protected by the band retains its fresh appearance because the light has not had access to it. Silks and other fine fabrics bleached in this way fade with age, and assume an unnatural color. One reason for this is that the dye used to color the fabric requires a clear white background, and loses its characteristic hues when its foundation is yellow instead of white. Then, too, dystuffs are themselves more or less affected by light, and fade slowly under a strong illumination. Materials which are not exposed directly to an intense and prolonged illumination retain their whiteness for a long time and hence dress materials and hats which have been bleached with sulfurous acid should be protected from the sun's glare when not in use. 223. The removal of stains. Bleaching powder is very full in the removal of stains from white fabrics. Ink spots rubbed with lemon juice and dipped in bleaching solution fade away and leave on the cloth no trace of discoloration. Sometimes these stains can be removed by soaking in milk, and where this is possible, it is the better method. Bleaching solution. 
however, while valuable in the removal of some stains, is unable to remove paint stains, because paints owe their color to mineral matter, and on this chlorine is powerless to act. Paint stains are best removed by the application of gasoline followed by soap and water. Chapter XXIII Dyeing 224 Dyes One of the most important and lucrative industrial processes of the world today is that of staining and dyeing. Whether we consider the innumerable shades of leather used in shoes and harnesses and upholstery, the multitude of colors in the paper which covers our walls and reflects light ranging from the somber to the gay, and from the delicate to the gorgeous, the artificial scenery which adorns the stage and by its imitation of trees and flowers and sky translates us to the forest of Orden, or whether we consider the uncounted varieties of color in dress materials, in carpets, and in hangings. We are dealing with substances which owe their beauty to dyes and dyestuffs. The coloring of textile fabrics, such as cotton, wool, and silk, far outranks in amount and importance that of leather, paper, etc. And hence the former only will be considered here, but the theories and facts relative to textile dyeing are applicable in a general way to all other forms as well. 225. Plants as a source of dyes. Among the most beautiful examples of man's handiwork are the baskets and blankets of the North American Indians, woven with a skill which cannot be equaled by manufacturers, and deed in mellow colors with a few simple dyes extracted from local plants, the magnificent rugs and tapestries of Persia and Turkey, and the silks of India and Japan, give evidence that a knowledge of dyes is widespread and ancient, until recently, the vegetable world was the source of practically all coloring matter. The pulverized root of the matter plant yielding the reds, the leaves and stems of the indigo plant the blues, the heartwood of the tropical logwood tree the blacks and grays, and the fruit of certain palm and locust trees yielding the soft browns. So great was the commercial demand for dyestuffs that large areas of land were given over to the exclusive cultivation of the more important dye plants. Vegetable dyes are now, however, Rarely used because about the year 1856 it was discovered that dyes could be obtained from coal tar. The thick sticky liquid formed as a byproduct in the manufacture of coal gas. These artificial coal tar, or aniline, dyes have practically undisputed sway today. And the vast areas of land formerly used for the cultivation of vegetable dyes are now free for other purposes. 226. Wool and cotton dyeing. If a piece of wool is soaked in a solution of a coal tar dye such as magenta, the fiber of the cloth draws some of the dye out of the solution and absorbs it, becoming in consequence beautifully colored, the coloring matter becomes, part and parcel, as it were, of the wool fiber, because repeated washing of the fabric fails to remove the newly acquired color, the magenta coloring matter unites chemically with the fiber of the wool, and forms with it a compound insoluble in water, and hence fast to a washing, but if cotton is used instead of wool, the acquired color is very faint, and washes off readily. This is because cotton fibers possess no chemical substance capable of uniting with the coloring matter to form a compound insoluble in water. If magenta is replaced by other artificial dyes, for example, scarlets, the result is similar, in general. Wool material absorbs dye readily, and uniting with it is permanently deed. Cotton material, on the other hand, does not combine chemically with coloring matter and therefore is only faintly tinged with color and loses this when washed. When silk and linen are tested, it is found that the former behaves in a general way as did wool, while the linen has more similarity to the cotton, that vegetable fibers, such as cotton and linen, should act differently toward coloring matter from animal fibers, such as silk and wool, 
is not surprising when we consider that the chemical nature of the two groups is very different, vegetable fibers contain only oxygen, carbon, and hydrogen, while animal fibers always contain nitrogen in addition, and in many cases sulfur as well. 227. The selection of dyes, when silk and wool, cotton and linen, are tested in various dye solutions, it is found that the former have, in general, a great affinity for coloring matter and acquire a permanent color, but that cotton and linen, on the other hand, have little affinity for dyestuffs. The color acquired by vegetable fibers island therefore, usually faint. There are, of course, many exceptions to the general statement that animal fibers die readily and vegetable fibers poorly, because certain dyes fail utterly with woolen and silk material and yet are fairly satisfactory when applied to cotton and linen fabrics. Then, too, a dye which will color silk may not have any effect on wool in spite of the fact that wool, like silk, is an animal fiber, and certain dyestuffs to which cotton responds most beautifully are absolutely without effect on linen. The nature of the material to be determines the coloring matter to be used. In dyeing establishments a careful examination is made of all textiles received for dyeing, and the particular dyestuffs are then applied which long experience has shown to be best sweet to the material in question. Where mixed goods, such as silk and wool, or cotton and wool, are concerned, the problem is a difficult one, and the countless varieties of gorgeously colored mixed materials give evidence of high perfection in the art of dyeing and weaving. Housewives who wish to do successful home dyeing should therefore not purchase dyes indiscriminately, but should select the kind best sweet to the material, because the coloring principle which will remake a silk waist may utterly ruin a woolen skirt or a linen suit. Powders designed for special purposes may be purchased from druggists. 228. Indirect dyeing. We have seen that it is practically impossible to color cotton and linen in a simple manner with any degree of permanency, because of the lack of chemical action between vegetable fibers and coloring matter, but the varied uses to which deed articles are put make fastness of color absolutely necessary. A shirt, for example, must not be discolored by perspiration, nor a waist faded by washing nor a carpet dulled by sweeping with a dampened broom, in order to ensure permanency of dyes. An indirect method was originated which consisted of adding to the fibers a chemical capable of acting upon the dye and forming with it a colored compound insoluble in water, and hence, safe. For example, cotton material deed directly in logwood solution has almost no value, but if it is soaked in a solution of oxalic acid and alum until it becomes saturated with the chemicals, and is then transferred to a logwood bath, the color acquired is fast and beautiful. This method of indirect dyeing is known as the mordening process. It consists of saturating the fabric to be deed with chemicals which will unite with the coloring matter to form compounds unaffected by water. The chemicals are called mordants. 229. How variety of color is secured. The color which is fixed on the fabric as a result of chemical action between mordant and dye is frequently very different from that of the dye itself. Logwood dye when used alone produces a reddish-brown color of no value either for beauty or permanence, but if the fabric to be deed is first mordanted with a solution of alum and oxalic acid and is then immersed in a logwood bath, it acquires a beautiful blue color. Moreover, since the color acquired depends upon the mordant as well as upon the dye, it is often possible to obtain a wide range of colors by varying the mordant used, the dye remaining the same. For example, with alum and oxalic acid as a mordant and logwood as a dye. Blue is obtained, but with a mordant of ferric sulfate and a dye of logwood, blacks and grays result. 
Fabrics immersed directly in alizarin acquire a reddish-yellow tint, when, however, they are mordanted with certain aluminium compounds they acquire a brilliant turkey red, when mordanted with chromium compounds, a maroon, and when mordanted with iron compounds, the various shades of purple, lilac, and violet result. 230. Color Designs in Cloth. It is thought that the earliest attempts at making fancy materials consisted in painting designs on a fabric by means of a brush. In more recent times the design was cut in relief on hardwood, the relief being then daubed with coloring matter and applied by hand to successive portions of the cloth. The most modern method of design making is that of machine or roller printing. In this, the relief blocks are replaced by engraved copper rolls which rotate continuously and in the course of their rotation automatically receive coloring matter on the engraved portion. The cloth is to be printed is then drawn uniformly over the rotating roll receiving color from the engraved design, in this way, the color pattern is automatically printed on the cloth with perfect regularity, in cases where the fabrics do not unite directly with the coloring matter, the design is supplied with a mordant and the impression made on the fabric is that of the mordant, when the fabric is later transferred to a dye bath, the mordanted portions, represented by the design, unite with the coloring matter and thus form the desired color patterns, unless the printing is well done. The coloring matter does not thoroughly penetrate the material, and only a faint blurred design appears on the back of the cloth. The gaudy designs of cheap calicoes and ginghams often do not show at all on the underside. Such carelessly made prints are not fast to washing or light, and soon fade. But in the better grades of material the printing is well done, and the color designs are fairly fast, and a little care in the laundry suffices to eliminate any danger of fading. Color designs of the greatest durability are produced by the weaving together of colored yarns. When yarn is deep, the coloring matter penetrates to every part of the fiber, and hence the patterns formed by the weaving together of welded yarns are very fast to a light and water. If the color designs to be woven in the cloth are intricate, complex machinery is necessary and skillful handwork, hence, patterns formed by the weaving of colored yarns are expensive and less common than printed fabrics. Chapter XXIV Chemicals AS Disinfectants and Preservatives 231 The prevention of disease epidemics is one of the most striking achievements of modern science. Food, clothing, furniture, and other objects contaminated in any way by disease germs may be disinfected by chemicals or by heat, and widespread infection from persons suffering with a contagious disease may be prevented. Illustration, Figure 160 Pasteurizing Apparatus an arrangement by which milk is conveniently heated to destroy disease germs. When disease germs are within the body, the problem is far from simple, because chemicals which would effectively destroy the germs would be fatal to life itself. But when germs are outside the body, as in water or milk, or on clothing, dishes, or furniture, they can be easily killed. One of the best methods of destroying germs is to subject them to intense heat. Contaminated water is made safe by boiling for a few minutes because the strong heat destroys the disease-producing germs. Scalded or pasteurized milk saves the lives of scores of babies, because the germs of summer complaint which lurk in poor milk are killed and rendered harmless in the process of scalding. Dishes used by consumptives, and persons suffering from contagious diseases, can be made harmless by thorough washing in thick suds of almost boiling water. The bedding and clothing of persons suffering with diphtheria, tuberculosis, and other germ diseases should always be boiled and hung to dry in the bright sunlight. Heat and sunshine are two of the best disinfectants. 232. Chemicals. Objects. Such as furniture. 
which cannot be boiled, or disinfected by the use of any one of several chemicals, such as sulfur, carbolic acid, chloride of lime, corrosive sublimate, etc. One of the simplest methods of disinfecting consists in burning sulfur in a room whose doors, windows, and keyholes have been closed, so that the burning fumes cannot escape, but remain in the room long enough to destroy disease germs. This is probably the most common means of fumigation. For general purposes, carbolic acid is one of the very best disinfectants, but must be used with caution, as it is a deadly poison except when very dilute. Chloride of lime when exposed to the air and moisture slowly gives off chlorine, and can be used as a disinfectant because the gas dust set free attacks germs and destroys them. For this reason chloride of lime is an excellent disinfectant of drain pipes. Certain bowel troubles, such as diarrhea, are due to microbes, and if the waste matter of a person suffering from this or similar diseases is allowed passage through the drainage system, much damage may be done, but a small amount of chloride of lime in the closet bowl will ensure disinfection. 233. Personal Disinfection. The hands may gather germs from any substances or objects with which they come in contact, hence the hands should be washed with soap and water, and especially before eating. Physicians who perform operations wash not only their hands, but their instruments, sterilizing the latter by placing them in boiling water for several minutes. Cuts and wounds allow easy access to the body, a small cut has been known to cause death because of the bacteria which found their way into the open wound and produced disease. In order to destroy any germs which may have entered into the cut from the instrument, it is well to wash out the wound with some mild disinfectant such as very dilute carbolic acid or hydrogen peroxide, and then to bind the wound with a clean cloth, to prevent later entrance of germs. 234. Chemicals as food preservatives, the spoiling of meats and soups, and the souring of milk and preserves, are due to germs which, like those producing disease, can be destroyed by heat and by chemicals. Milk heated to the boiling point does not sour readily and successful canning consists in cooking fruits and vegetables until all the germs are killed, and then sealing the cans so that germs from outside cannot find entrance and do the work of the canner. Some dealers and manufacturers have learned that certain chemicals will act as food preservatives, and hence they have replaced the safe method of careful canning by the quicker and simpler plan of adding chemicals to food. Ketchup, sauces, and jellies are now frequently preserved in this way but the chemicals which destroy bacteria frequently injure the consumer as well, and so much harm has been done by food preservatives that the pure food laws require that cans and bottles contain a labeled statement of the kind and quantity of chemicals used, even milk is not exempt, but is doctored to prevent souring, the preservative most generally used by milk dealers being formaldehyde, the vast quantity of milk consumed by young and old, sick and well, makes the use of formaldehyde a serious menace to health, because no constitution can endure the injury done by the constant use of preservatives. The most popular and widely used preservatives of meats are borax and boric acid. These chemicals not only arrest decay, but partially restore to old and bad meat the appearance of freshness. In this way unscrupulous dealers are able to sell to the public in one form or other meats which may have undergone partial decomposition. Sausage frequently contains partially decomposed meat, restored as it were by chemicals. In jams and ketchups there is abundant opportunity for preservatives, badly or partially decayed fruits are sometimes disinfected and used as the basis of foods sold by so-called good dealers. Benzoate of soda, and salicylic acid are the chemicals most widely employed for this purpose. 
with coal tar dyes to simulate the natural color of the fruit. Many of the cheap candies sold by street vendors are not fit for consumption, since they are not only made of bad material, but are frequently in addition given a light dipping in varnish as a protection against the decaying influences of the atmosphere. The only wise preservatives are those long known and employed by our ancestors, salt, vinegar, and spices are all food preservatives, but they are at the same time substances which in small amounts are not injurious to the body. Smoked herring and salted mackerel are chemically preserved foods, but they are nonetheless safe and digestible. 235. The preservation of wood and metal. The decaying of wood and the rusting of metal are due to the action of air and moisture. When wood and metal are surrounded with a covering which neither air nor moisture can penetrate, decay and rust are prevented. Paint affords such a protective covering. The main constituent of paint is a compound of white lead or other metallic substance. This is mixed with linseed oil or its equivalent in order that it may be spread over wood and metal in a thin, even coating. After the mixture has been applied, it hardens and forms a tough skin fairly impervious to a weathering. For the sake of ornamentation, various colored pigments are added to the paint and give variety of effect. Railroad ties and street paving blocks are ordinarily protected by oil rather than paint. Wood is soaked in creosote oil until it becomes thoroughly saturated with the oily substance. The pores of the wood are thus closed to the entrance of air and moisture, and decay is avoided. Wood treated in this way is very durable. Creosote is poisonous to insects and many small animals, and thus acts as a preservation not only against the elements but against animal life as well. Chapter XXV Drugs and Patent Medicines 236 Stimulants and Narcotics Man has learned not only the action of substances upon each other, such as bleaching solution upon coloring matter, washing soda upon grease, acids upon bases, but also the effect which certain chemicals have upon the human body. Drugs and their varying effects upon the human system have been known to mankind from remote ages, in the early days. Familiar leaves, roots, and twigs were steeped in water to form medicines which served for the treatment of all ailments. In more recent times, however, these simple herb teas have been supplanted by complex drugs. And now medicines are compounded not only from innumerable plant products, but from animal and mineral matter as well. Quinine, rhubarb, and arnica are examples of purely vegetable products, iron, mercury, and, 